Squares Fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. This is your host, Steve Fielder, coming at you one more time. And uh, we're so happy today to be able to record this uh, podcast with a fellow that I've wanted to get up with for a long time. I see him uh, about daily on uh, social media. I've known uh, of him for many, many years. I've seen his name uh, and his picture in the magazines with his dogs, and uh, he likes those tree and walker dogs. Uh, maybe he'll tell us about some other breeds that he's had. But uh, I'm always uh, glad to talk to anybody from the great state of Kentucky because that's where my grandparents on my mother's side came from. And I've had a lot of great times in Kentucky uh, that uh, we'll talk about as we go along. But uh, I'm real pleased to welcome to the mic today Mr. Whitey Marshall. How you doing, Whitey? Doing good, Steve. How are you today? Man, I am just great. I really am, and uh, just uh, very pleased that you took time from your busy schedule. And I know that, uh, I don't know how old you are, but I imagine that you're retired from from a regular job. Is that right? Yeah, I've been retired quite a few years, Steve. I'm 70 years old. I'm getting to be one of the old men. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still got you by five years uh, on the on the wrong side, <laughs> seven. <70. Yeah. laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought you were somewhere there in that uh, that range. I see that uh, there's some a lot of white in that beard. How'd you get the nickname Whitey? Uh, my hair was always been white like that, and uh, always and. I had an uncle called Cotton, so they couldn't call me Cotton, so they just everybody nicknamed me Whitey. I got you. I got you. Well, I want to talk a little bit about your background before we get into talking coon dogs. And this is a coon hunting podcast, and most people listen to it for that reason because they're interested in hearing what other people have to say about the sport. And we in the coon hunting world, we've always enjoyed sitting around talking, whether it's at the clubhouse or. Uh, around a campfire or on the tailgate or wherever, and of course, uh, spend a lot. My wife tells me I spend way too much time on the telephone talking to coon hunters, but it's something that I enjoy a lot. But tell me about where you were born, Whitey. I was born right here within a few miles where I live right now, Steve. I've been here practically all my life. Uh, great in little Carter County, Kentucky, little town, racing real close to here, and uh. I was born in a, in the hospital right here in Grayson. It's no longer here, but I've been fortunate to be raised right here, and uh, and all my brothers and sisters uh, we're all within five minutes of dad. So that's that's a rarity anymore. But uh, I've been blessed. Well, you certainly have in that regard, and uh, you know I uh, uh, have lost both of my parents. But if I'm understanding right, your father's still living. Yes, uh, I was over mowing his grass today, and he's right there with me. He'll be 90 in October. Oh, and, that's uh, he's awesome. He's right on that rider this, today with me, and uh, while I was push mowing, he was a, I'm privileged to still have him. I lost my mother about six years ago. I see. Well, that's the unfortunate thing about living a, li- a, a good long life is that we do lose, you know, our parents. I just recently lost my mother. And um, God bless her. She lived to be 100 years and 11 days. 
and uh, that was she was uh, blessed with a long life. My dad died back in two thousand six, and he was eighty eight. But uh, well, I'm just glad to hear that for sure. Uh, are you married? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Be soon be fifty three years. Fifty three years. Is she a Kentucky girl too? Oh yeah, she she was a high school sweetheart. Oh yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I'm married to my high school sweetheart, but we didn't get around to it until later in life. But uh, that, that's great. Well, okay. So they're in the part of Kentucky that you live in. Uh, what's the terrain like? What's the country like there? We're in the foothills of the, of the Appalachian Mountains, and uh, ours is not mountains. You know, you get on up or so above me, you're in Pike County where the mountains is. And uh, mm-hmm. but we've got uh, we've got some steep hills, and and, uh, and which I really enjoy the the hills myself. You know, it kind of breaks up the terrain and everything. Oh yeah, I, I miss the mountains. I was born in Southern West Virginia, and uh, you know I always enjoy when I can get back to the mountains. Now my grandparents were, I believe, from Floyd County, Kentucky. Is that right? Would that be up around Paintsville and and Van Leer and all? Is that Floyd or what county would that be? Do you know? That'd be in Floyd County. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I know we always said they were kind of from Loretta Lynn country as a point of reference because she was born, um, the song, you know, the famous song she's had about her daddy working all night in the Van Leer coal mines. So, yeah. Yeah, my grandfather was a coal miner for many years. Uh, my dad was a farm boy from Tennessee. But, uh, okay, so um, you – you were born there, near where you are now. You went to school there. Then what did, what did you do for your life's work, uh, Whitey? I've been a carpenter all my since I've come out of service. Steve, I, uh, I got drafted and, and uh, already was married and had a child. And uh, hmm. I got drafted and, and served my time in Vietnam, uh, which I was proud to do and would do it again. And... Uh, then when I come home, I took project transistor. I took carpentry and and that and that is what I stayed with, and uh, it uh, it blessed me. Well, that's awesome. Now I was in the Air Force during the Vietnam era, but I was stationed in Japan. Uh, well, a year of training in Texas and three years in Japan in a support role uh, for the war. Uh, but um, when did you get out, Whitey? I got out in 73. Well, you and I are right on the money on that. Did you go in in 69 then? No, no. I got drafted in, in 71. And, okay. Uh, they put me, uh, I guess I messed up and put, I uh, was no, you know, I like the squirrel hunting stuff, so they put me in infantry. I guess I made a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, yeah. I was in the jungle. I was in the jungle for a year. I walked point for six months, and then I carried a 60 machine gun for six months. And, uh, yeah, you were in the thick of it for sure then, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Well, I have, you know, there's names on that wall of schoolmates of mine. I have a very soft spot in my heart, a lot of pride, but a lot of sadness, too, for the schoolmates and all that I lost during that war. I think anybody that didn't grow up or weren't uh, of uh draft age or military age or whatever during that time doesn't really have any idea 
what that was all about and what a commitment it took. and um, it wasn't an easy time at all, but I'm like you. I definitely am proud of my military service. I did stay uh, four years. I was drafted, but instead of taking the draft, I, I went ahead and enlisted in the Air Force because I'd had uh, three cousins that had already gone in the Air Force right out of high school. So, But, uh, well, I know I saw, uh, I think I saw something on uh Facebook the other day, you posted about the way you guys rode those helicopters. Um, you weren't worried about falling out, were you? No, you couldn't fall out. <laughs> First time I got on, I thought I was going to fall out, but you could, they just, uh, it would hold you right in there. I got you. I got you. Well, thank goodness you survived all that, and, and um, I'm proud of your military service, and I thank you for it, and and uh, I know that the nation is too. Well, at what point along the way did you get involved in coon dogs? Uh, it was in 1981. Uh, I uh, had, you know, I played bluegrass for for quite a few years. Oh, there and well, there's a another thing. I, I guess I didn't know about you. We definitely got to talk about that too. But go <laughs> yeah. go right ahead. The banjo picker that I had at that time, he had coon dogs and. Uh, we were at his place one evening, and uh, he was going to go coon hunting. And I, I made a mistake and went with him, and he had a, a half plot and half uh, half cur dog. And uh, we went up and turned him loose, and he run a track, and he come treed, and uh, and I was hooked. <laughs> That's all it took, huh? <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. Well, uh Plots and curs, that's kind of my background. Well, my dad grew up with cur dogs on the farm in Tennessee. So when I was a young man, I, or a kid really, I heard all kinds of tales about my dad and his brothers hunting with the cur dogs in the country there in, in west of Nashville in, uh, in middle Tennessee. So, uh, but then when dad, uh, in 1954, he kind of got the bear hunting bug there in West Virginia. He married my mother, who was born in West Virginia, and that's how, uh, you know, they settled back there after the war. He was in uh, World War II and went in in 1939 and uh, didn't get out until I think it was September of, of uh, 1945. And she was working in Detroit, and they got married there and then moved down back home for her. West Virginia, and that's where I was raised. But, but anyway, I always heard those tales of hunting with the cur dogs, old Pat and Mike, uh, especially. And then when he decided to get into bear hunting, he got some plots. And so, uh, our background's a little bit alike there, I guess, in that regard. Uh, about how old were you then when you you got that first experience? Yeah, see, 51 to 81, so I've been about 30, I guess, Dave. I got you. Well, it's a little later than I did. Of course, my dad was involved, you know, with, with dogs, and I was his shadow when I was a kid. Did your dad ever get into it at all? No, Dad, uh, dad was raised in a generation that uh, all he knew was to work and uh, go mm-hmm. to church, and and, uh, mm-hmm. and he just never did get into hunting. He done a little bit of uh, squirrel hunting and stuff like that without a dog, but uh, Dad never did. He's he's never been coon hunting with me at all. 
I guess it's kind of for a person that doesn't do it and doesn't understand why anybody else would do it, <laughs> probably. Uh, it, it's probably a mystery to them, but uh, I can't remember a time in my experience when there wasn't dogs, you know, tied out back or in the kennel in the back. Well, um, so then how'd you progress down that coon hunting trail from there, from that first experience? Well, I, uh, we were working at a, at a brickyard, local brickyard down here, a banjo picker, and that's how I met him. And and uh, there was another another gentleman hunting there that hunted. He had blue had a blue tick female. And after I hunted with it that night, I decided I, I wanted a dog, so I bought a little blue tick dog called Maggie. And she was just a great dog, and and I got hunting hunts back whenever you know you had several great dogs there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I got a hankering that I wanted a, a registered dog, and I bought a dog called Tree Singing Chief. He had just been high scoring dog of a high scoring Walker dog in KC World Hunt, mm-hmm. and uh, I purchased him, and uh, from then uh, been hooked to Walkers ever since. Well, I, you and, and the majority of coon hunters around the country, of course, favor the walker dog, and and um, it's hard to argue with the record, that's for sure. You know, my first experience in night hunting, and we'll talk about that, uh, came at uh, Georgetown, Kentucky. Um, went to plot days with my dad. Had a pretty good dog there, uh, a plot dog. Don't remember how old he was that at that time, but I'm thinking about three years old. And I hunted on, uh, I've told this story on podcasts before, on one of the farms out there at, uh, uh, oh, I can't even think of the name of it right now, but the dog trailed a, uh, a coon un- through a culvert under the interstate or under the parkway there. I don't know if it's the, I think it's the interstate right there. But uh, anyway, that was my first experience, and I couldn't believe coming out of West Virginia, those uh, bluegrass horse farms that we hunted on. You know, that was a whole lot different than the kind of hunting that I was used to. Well, I wanted to uh, kind of get into how you got involved in competition hunting. Well, that uh, I took uh... Took the chief dog and and uh, I went to Kentucky State Championship in 1982 and and uh, got uh, I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate but anyway I won the Kentucky State Championship that year and and that really that really got the fall underneath me and uh, I went from there uh, I had a little dog called Murdoch and I won I made him a grand knight made both of them grand knights and then uh, and in two thousand ninety one. I bought a little female called Ruby. She was off a of Deanwood Drifter. Oh yeah. And uh, and I got my back hurt on the job and had a back operation. And I had a uh, how I got Ruby. I had a dog out of out of some of the blood that Chief and him was out of, and uh, I felt that I needed to sell him because he was too nice of a hound. And I sold. I traded him on the spider web, and that's how I got the female. And that's what got me really. When my back got better, and, and uh, that really got me on the road, then I started pushing pretty hard in it. I see. Now, what was the breeding background on those hounds? Okay, uh, Chief Dog was out of Carolina Casey. You've heard of Carolina Casey, I'm sure, and back through the years. Oh, yeah. And, 
said Stuart, he's not he don't live too far from me. Said had the, had that blood and uh, and then Murdoch dog was Randy Blevins had a little dog called Jack, which was out of that dog. And uh, I held on that blood, and then then it progressed from then. And in '96, uh, I decided I might want to get into the stud dog business and start raising pups because my work kept me from really traveling in competition hunt big time. Mm. And uh, I got a host of Joe House and Tom Bates, and I bought Cook's Raider, which was already established. Tom already had him established, Grand mm-hmm. Night Champion Dog, and he was off old lawyer. Yep, and that uh, got me into the breeding, and uh, I've been blessed over the years in my breeding program. So, have you kind of uh, held on to that old breeding down through the years, or have you gotten away from it now? No, I still got it in my pedigree. I, some of the some of the hounds that I've got now, Steve, I've got back seven generations that I've owned, you yeah. know, and built built this up, and uh, and uh, it's worked out real good for me, and. And, uh, well, I know you. Been, yes, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I said I know you've got a good reputation down through the years of being a good dog man and and having good hounds, and uh, and so you know that's I guess what we try to tell these people that get into the sport first thing. You know, a lot of times people get oh I got a registered dog here I'll get me a female I'll raise pups I'll you know I'll make money. But it's not quite that easy, is it? It's nowhere near that easy. <laughs> uh, my breeding program, Steve, I I don't go for the for the one hit winders. I I study my pedigrees and I try to get my females. Females, in my part of it is more more part of it than the male dog is, mm-hmm. and uh, and I try to get a family of dogs. I just don't, you know, get the. Mm-hmm. Majority of the litter is good. That's what I go after and try to keep blended into my blood. Well, I would certainly say that I agree with everything you're saying right there. I believe in uh, dogs coming from a good, strong family of dogs. And I've uh, that was when I was breeding plots and my dad was back years ago. And all, we always tried to do that, stay within the family line, outcross occasionally, but always bring it right back into that family if we could, if we were happy with it. But, uh, yeah, the, the breeding dogs is, uh, it's not an exact science, but at the same time, there are things that you can do to improve your odds, don't you think? Oh, 100%. Uh, Joe House told me one time that uh, he said, you know, he, I kind of looked up to Joe because he was he was awful good at breeding. And uh, Joe told me that there, when people start about these proven crosses, there's no such thing. He said there's no two no two kids alike, and there's not going to be no two dogs alike. He was a wise man, Whitey, and and you know I guess maybe that I probably heard that somewhere along the line passed down from Joe, but I've always tried to hold to that myself. But you know I. <laughs> A lot of times you see things in ads and you see people say things and you just sit back and and, and I found it's it's wise not to comment a lot of times. But when they start, there's a couple things that always amused me in guys talking about uh, dogs. They'll say, I bred dog A to dog B and that ought to be a real good cross. Well, yeah, 
it ought to be. <laughs> All of them ought to be good. <laughs> but until you do it and see how it turns out, you don't know. And then going along right with what you said just now that Joe told you uh, about, you know, proven crosses, I've never believed in that because I've seen too many times uh, repeat breedings of the same cross that didn't turn out at all like the first time. So that's for sure. It uh, there's no proving. You just don't know how the genes at that time is going to line up. Seem like it should it should happen, but it don't happen. <laughs> right. If there was just a manual here, uh, to go do step A <laughs> and then B, and the result will be C, and they'll all be great. Uh, well, it wouldn't be much fun if it's that way, I guess, anyway, was it? Would it? Yeah. No. Everybody would be hunting the same breed of dogs if that was the case. Yeah, that's for sure. They'd all be the same. It'd be kind of like NASCAR racing now, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I liked when they talk about all this parody and everything. I, man, I liked it when they were out there, you know, rubbing paint, and, uh, and it was all about, uh, uh, you know, the – who was the best, who had the best equipment, who was the best prepared. But now I think the cars are all about the same. Well, uh, so many questions I have for you. Uh, first of all, uh, what would be a typical night hunt there where you live? What kind of terrain would we turn loose? Where would we go? Uh, you don't have to tell me your spots, but, I mean, just the type of type of terrain you've got to hunt there. Right here, right here where we live, Steve. Uh, you know we're in, like I say, we're in the hills and stuff. And you turn dog loose here, and and uh, by the time you get to them, and and uh, you don't get all the turnouts you do like going to Ohio. You know I make several trips up there and enjoy it. I, you know, the older I get, the more the flat country is is nicer for me. But uh, you get oh, out here in these hills here, and you tree a couple, three coon a night. You know, it's by that time it's Two or three o'clock in the morning. By the time you get everything rounded up, and uh, we've got coons here, but it takes a dog that, that's got the heart and the czar to to hunt these hollers out and find them and tree them. And time time we walk to them, it takes us a while. Well, I imagine, and uh, that's the one thing that uh, over the years, the last ten years or so, about twelve, I guess, I've been going to Arkansas because it's flat. And the woods are open, and it's so much more enjoyable for a guy my age, uh, you know. And of course, we hunt a lot off the uh, four wheelers and side by sides and whatnot uh, off the trails. But you still have to walk to the dogs when they tree, and uh, boy, I tell you that becomes pretty important. Uh, I know when I got the cabin in the mountains of North Carolina, there was a few coon around there, and I could walk or ride my four-wheeler from the house. But if the dog treed, I was either going to walk straight up to him or straight off to him. And if I walked off, I was going to have to walk back. <laughs> so, man, these old wobbly knees just don't don't handle that kind of terrain uh, very, very well. Okay, well, what type of dog do you like in a walker dog, Whitey? Uh, I probably differ from a lot of people, Steve. I like a dog... When it, when a dog trees, I want to have a coon, and uh, mm. and they've got to they've got to hunt good by themselves because I'm not able to to handle you know two or three dogs at a time in these hills. You know, I want a dog when I cut him, I want him to go and uh, know what his business is, and, and I like a dog that can run a track. But that is 
that is by being accurate, you know. When you get there, he's got a comb. And if they can't do that, they don't live here very long, and I don't breed that kind. Well, you um, you like a dog that opens a fair amount on the ground. What what about that? Yeah, I, I prefer it, but I have had good dogs that, that would just hit here and there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and with all, and, them, and that, that type of dog seems to be just naturally accurate yeah. to me more than an open dog is. Well, there's a lot of questions, you know, that coon hunters get into and talk about layup dogs versus uh, uh, the ambush dog that seems to be real popular today in the night hunts, especially in these high-dollar entry hunts and all. And, and it seems that the dogs are always, you know, treed at the four points of the compass and uh, and all of them in there deep. Um, any thoughts about that? I mean, uh, what do you consider a good layup dog? That is something, Steve, that uh, is getting to be a rarity uh, in this country. Occasionally, occasionally we'll have a we'll get one ourselves that can do it, but they're farther in between. Seem like I think they mm-hmm. are the breeding and stuff has got more like you say wanting to, to ambush them, but uh, a layup dog will will just flat uh, make you look silly. If you don't watch them, they'll be training coons while the mother dogs never know they're in the world. Well, you know, I witnessed that so many times up in Michigan. I was fortunate to live up there for 22 years. And, of course, we had good coon crop up there, a lot of coons. But the coons didn't move every night. You know, that's one thing I think people forget about. You live in coon country, that don't mean they're moving every night. But I have seen and have had the opportunity to own a few what I would consider real good layup dogs. And these were dogs that could find a coon laying up in a tree that where there was no track on the ground. You know, and the boys up north, they always talk about the coons up there sleeping in a fork, you know, when a dog treated them. But uh, I think a lot of the coons that get treed today are just as we said ambushed you know the dog hunts hard and wide and runs up on the coon coon goes right up the tree the percentage of of seeing that coon and scoring him is a lot higher and i can understand why they hunt a dog like that but when i was a kid you know we used to kind of look down on the guys that hunted silent trailers and they'd catch coons, you know, and they'd say, well, hunting in these cliffs and all these den trees and all, we want, you know, we want a dog that's got to be able to to tree that coon on the outside. But uh, I've always liked a good trail dog, not a dog that stands on its head, but I do like a good trail dog. I just like to listen to the hounds. I think that's been my primary enjoyment with coon hunting. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I'm like you. I like to, I like to sit there and listen to them work a track up and uh, and you know, like they get through the country and we straight have the meat. Well, that accuracy is everything to me, and uh, I never experienced that too much. You know, any problem with that up through the years, and then just um, you know, within the last couple dogs that I've had, I. I've seen where they miss more than I like, you know. Uh, what yeah, do you, it's a, go ahead. 
Yeah, that's the kind of that's the kind of dogs that I stay away from, and uh, and try to you know just uh, I got a female down here out of my Dan dog at uh, every every win she had, but one was with the leaves off, and that was her strong point. She wasn't nothing fancy or anything like that, but when you cut her and she opened and she treed, you're going to score. It's not going to be a a grab a tree or mm-hmm. or anything like that, and that's how she that's how I finished her. Well, I enjoyed. I hunted a lot by myself in Michigan, and I always enjoyed the fact that I knew. This is the way I felt when I get to that tree. I'll shoot that coon out if I can find him. It, it'll be up to me to find him, but he's there. I never worried about him being there. I sometimes I worried, and as I get, start getting a little older, uh, you know, my eyes weren't quite as good. And, of course, we didn't have thermal imager uh, scopes and things like that back in that day. But, uh, but yeah, you just kind of knew, you know, that the, the dog. We had an expression, I know you've heard it probably a lot of times, about a lion coon dog, you know, and it yeah. couldn't, be, couldn't be tolerated, you know. Yeah. Well, to, me, to me, they got to, they got breeding these dogs that was, hard, quick tree dogs that, uh, and mm-hmm. a lot of these dogs you see when the leaves was on the trees, but you let the leaves fall off and you didn't see them at the hunts anymore around here. I don't oh, know yeah. been where you. <laughs> Many of the time I've heard guys say, man, I can't wait to, to the leaves get on with this dog, <laughs> man. I'll, I can score a lot. And that, of course, you know, with the advent of the money hunts and so forth, the ability to win, uh, on circle points or or least minus or whatever, kind of changed that game, you know, because we always, before we had to show the coon, and uh, I don't know, I, things change, and I try not to be the guy that's always criticizing the way things are going now. Uh, my wife tells me all the time when I talk about rap music, <laughs> and she says, well, you know, our parents didn't understand our music either. I said, yeah, but I think it was a little easier to understand than this. But, um, yeah, times change for sure. Well, tell me something about the dogs that you're hunting now. I mean, uh, what do you got? I know when uh, I asked you about coming on the podcast, you said you had three Grand Night champions that you were trying to get ready for Autumn Oaks. Uh uh, well, before we talk about those particular dogs, and how how do you go about getting a dog ready for a big hunt? We just hunt them. We just hunt them. Try to get them, and you know they're all to hunt autumn oaks. They're already grand nights. They're already they're already coon dogs, or should be. Yes. And uh, we just we just work with them and get them in the best shape we can get them, and uh, and try to try to get their minds you know just plumb right. We try to haul them different places, hunt them in different trains, because you never know when you get to that hunt where you're going to be. That's and, for sure. And I do a lot of tra- I do a lot of travel with them, hunt them in hunt them in different things, hunt them in swamps, hunt them in down timber, hunt them in. Uh, we just try to do it all, trying to get them ready. You know, I, I I'm so glad that you're on this podcast, Whitey, and you're saying some of these things because these are the things that the young hunters need to learn if they're going to be successful. You know, unfortunately, I hear nowadays, that you know, and, and it's been my experience too going out to the hunts, sometimes that weekend at the hunts, all that dog gets hunted by some of these fellas. Uh, 
You know, I mean, they just go to hunt every weekend. But, uh, you know, the old saying, it's not the will to win, it's the will to prepare to win, kind of really figures in uh, to what you're saying. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, a dog is going to encounter all kinds of different situations every drop, isn't he? He is, yeah. Uh, you probably uh, you probably heard of Clifford Dyer before in the Buck Creek Dogs. Right. Uh, the old Texas dog that he had was an outstanding hound. It was no doubt. But if I guided him, I could beat him because that dog would not hunt around cattle. I mean, mm. if there's cattle smell there, he wasn't going to do nothing. And I know that. And <laughs> when I guided, yeah. I, I guess you might call it might be cheating a little bit, but. <laughs> But he was fine hound, and, and that's and just strategy, Whitey. Yeah, it's just, uh, <laughs> I try to get my I try to get my hounds ready for for any situation they be mm-hmm. they be put in. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about uh, well in the historical dogs, but uh, leading up to the ones you have now. What have been some of your favorite ones over the years? Uh, probably my favorite favorite dog. Steve was with my, my tree singing queen dogs. She was, uh, she just, she was the type of hound anywhere I took her, she was going to impress. And, uh, she hunted to suit me. She was good about having a coon. And, uh, and right now, uh, like I, like I said, I've got these three females that's three years and younger. It's grand nights, And they've all got their strong points. And, uh, but they're all good about hunting good by themselves and got coons. And, and I'm really proud of these three that I'm hunting right now, not because I've got them here, but uh, they they please. They try to please you every night. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, what age ages of dogs do you have there? Well, two of them is just two-year-olds, hmm. grand nights. Uh, one of them just yeah. grand at 17 months old. Uh, I bought a – my son called me uh, – he drawed a female. He knowed I was looking for another female for my breeding programs. And uh, he called me one night and said, Dad, I found you a dog. And uh, I said, what are you telling Dad for? Won't you buy it? You know, just kidding with him. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he said, uh, "He said, Daddy, she's three, three coon in an hour and had all three of them and, uh, by herself and big mouth. And so I said, well, see if you can buy her. And he said, yeah, he said he'd sell her. Well, make a long story short, it took me two and a half months to get her bought. Uh, I got her, I had him bring her down here and hunt her, and, uh, and she looked good in my country. And then we went up there when the snow was on in February, and she trailed a coon way through the country and come trading her. Him and my son went to her and come back, and I said, she have it? And he said, yeah. And I bought her. Uh, she's off of, uh, she's off the Willie Dog and okay. off the track lady, J.J. Jackson's. But uh, I bought, like I say, I bought her on the ninth day of February, and she was just starting to bleed. So I had to lay her up for three weeks. And from she had four wins toward night champion. I hunted her in four different states and nine different clubs, and I grinded her two weeks ago. That's and, awesome. Uh, That's awesome. She's a, she's a coon dog. You say she's off of Rackham Willie, and then uh, is that a track man female? Yeah. Mm-hmm. J.J. Jackson, track lady female. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, I got a project here out of track man, a semen pup that I got from Randy Smith. But she hasn't done a whole lot yet, but she's 
She's making progress. I didn't start maybe as early as I thought she would, but she's coming along. Well, that's good. So, all right. So, what do you call that female you just spoke of? I call her Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brother. My boy grew up during that era of music <laughs> and he plays guitar. And man, I, did I ever hear Pearl Jam? <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I'm going to take a little back step here just a minute because you mentioned something that's always near and dear to my heart, and that's music. Uh, tell me about your your uh, your country music experience. Well, you know, I'm raised right here in the in the heart of you know Ricky Skagg and Keith Whitley and and uh, Patty Loveless and and all of them and uh, yeah. I just loved the uh, loved the bluegrass music and I got into it and I got fortunate enough to have a band that uh, we played uh, we played a lot of places uh, played warm up for. J.D. Crow in the New South, you know, when well, Keith was playing with him and the country yeah. gentleman, and we played, uh, we were, uh, we were awful successful, but it got to the point, well, I'll just, I'll just tell, you know, maybe I shouldn't say it, but I quit drinking in 86, and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I had to get away from it, Steve, because it all went hand in hand. And, I uh, understand that, yeah. So yeah. that's when I left, that's when I left the bluegrass, and I still enjoy it, still there's still two of us alive that uh, that picked in the band that I had. And, now, what uh, do you play? Instruments? I play the guitar. Okay. Uh, uh-huh. Guitar well, in there. Well, in a lot of lead singing. Yeah. Well, did you do any recording that that's available anywhere that our listeners? No, no. Back, not back then, we were just playing festivals and moving around a lot, and we I all see. had mm-hmm. we all had jobs and uh, and. Uh, I it, I never did. Uh, I've got a recording with my sister that uh, she had a album made. She sung. She sang with the Glory Girls, and me and her does several funerals and stuff together now. I see. And, uh, yeah. Well, that's and, great. I my dad was a fiddle player. Grew up, you know, there in in not far out of Nashville, and remembers the old Grand Ole Opry fiddler Arthur Smith was from his hometown. This is way back, old-time Fiddler uh, stuff. But uh, I had uh, one of my first podcasts uh, under the Gone to the Dogs label here. Uh, I had Trent Williams from Piketon, Ohio, uh, who is a, a, a bluegrass musician, songwriter, singer, and all. He's he's not actively in, the, in uh, that right now, but man, is he good. I just always, when I get a chance to talk to somebody about music, I try to pick the brain a little bit because I, I enjoy it so much. And I've got a cousin in Nashville that actually in Dixon, Tennessee, that has uh, a modern management company in Nashville and managed Diamond Rio, Josh Turner, Kenny Rogers at one time, Sarah Evans, several acts like that. So, you know, I really enjoy the music aspect and uh, and it's a lot of fun but i do you know that what a tragedy tragedy keith whitley i think he had the best country voice i ever heard you know keith was uh keith was amazing he could sound like anybody of course that's all he ever done and uh, mm-hmm. i was working in ohio and uh and uh around keith quite a bit and and my son called me and uh, where well, i called home every thursday night and uh he told me he said, "Dad, Keith's dead," and uh, mm. and uh, he 
told me that. So I just I left work and come on home that weekend. Yeah, that is a real tragedy. Well, you know, my father was a pipe fitter and worked all up and down the Ohio Valley and was gone all during the week and home on weekends. So kind of relate to what you're talking about there for sure. All right, well, let's go back and talk about these walker dogs you got. Okay, you got the Pearl Jam female. What what else you hunting there? I've got a, uh, actually, I've got a young female here. There's just two that uh, call her Layla, and uh, she's uh, she's awful Willie, too. And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I hardly ever got two females off the same dog, but I was trying to buy her and couldn't get her bought, and then this... Uh, Pearl Jam come up, and I got her bought, and then this guy calls me, and he said he decided to sell her. So I first said no, and then I and then I said, well, I'd be a fool to say no, and, you know, it's a pricey price to me, so I bought her. And uh, then the other female that I have here, like like I say, I got ZZ Top off of off of. Uh, <laughs> I love dog. all these names, Layla. <laughs> Got yeah. me on my knees, Layla. Yeah, uh, Eric <laughs> yeah, Clapton. All, yeah, yeah. That's how they're naming them dogs. And uh, yeah, that's cool. And, and then I've got one that I call Jessie, and uh, hmm. Tree singing Jessie, and she is she's all my blood. And uh, I I went to Ohio a couple. Well, it's been about three years ago or two years ago, I guess it was. This pup was ten months old, and. Uh, the boy went with me up there to hunt, and he'd only started this dog about two weeks before. And this dog, in a week's time, she was only on the tree with another dog twice, hmm. you know, the dog that I had. And the little dog had a coon every time after being hunted two weeks. But make a long story short, it cost me some money, but I had her by the time I got home. <laughs> <laughs> is that the way you approach this thing? If you see a dog, well, you're going to hang in there with them till you get them bought. Uh, is that pretty well, much your attitude, that, or what? If if it catches my eye, Stephen, I can get them bought. I, I mm-hmm. buy them from. A, but when I when I granted Pearl Jam a couple of weeks ago, I told them, you know, at my age, having these three females as grand knights and loving to raise pups like I do, and just hunting the bigger hunts, uh, this that was my last one, and. Uh, Unless, you know, tragically, you know, I lose all of them or something. So, uh, right. I should be pretty well set for the next few years. Yeah. Well, you know, I've always thought that that's wise to keep good females. Then you have, you know, you can select any stud dog out there you want to breed to. You know, if you've got the female that you're uh, satisfied with and, and they're what you want, you know, there's any of those stud dogs would be more than welcome to have you breed to them. And uh, I just think that's a smart way to go. Yeah. All the, like I say, all three of these females are off proven crosses. Uh, not proven crosses. Let me rephrase this. They're out of the family, the whole litter, you know, both. Yeah. And uh, that's something I really, like I emphasized before, that's something that I really look, look hard at. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, I've got... I've got the two stud dogs here, and uh, okay, but they're both, you know, both of them getting agey, and they're my last ones on the stud dog bar. You know, I've still got Dan. He's been on reproducing the list now for several years in the top five. And then our rider dog, which is off of a litter mate to Dan, and Mark Miller's old dreamer dog, uh, right. he's eight, and he's, he's moved up to number six now on the reproducing list. So well, we, we 
your homework. Right. Well, those dogs then go back to the old that be, hardwood bean dog and and so forth. Right? Is that what? Uh, right. That's how I met Mark. He. Uh, okay. I seen Mark at I, I seen Mark at uh, Autumn Oaks, and uh, I just liked the the way the dog was built and uh, mm-hmm. mouth that everybody said he had, and uh, so I bred like I say I bred a sister to Dan. I had her here. I had three of the I had Pistol Annie and and uh, I had three of them females here or two of them females here out of Dan that I'd purchased or litter mates to him that I'd purchased. And I took one of them down there and crossed and uh, it meant a real cross. So you're still breeding the Dan dog? Yeah, he's eleven. He'll be twelve in January mm-hmm. and and I just got through like I said, I've got a litter down here four weeks old and they were ten in that litter. I bred it to the yeah. Lila female that I bought. Yeah. And, uh, so, Dan, and, now, uh, let's recap, uh, re- go back over <laughs> that. Dan is sired by what? Dan, he's, he's off of uh, Mike Walsh's Roadhog dog. Right. Had. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike Mike has been, I've, I've studied Mike's breeding. and uh, That was a Sackett Jr. dog, wasn't it? Well, yeah, he coming back to Old Mountain Steel and all of them. Yeah, Roblox yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I trained and and all that blood. And uh, he, uh, how I got Dan, he uh, he was off a female, but he was a granddaughter of a female that I'd sold a guy on a old rat tat dog. And uh, I drove that dog four times, hunting good females after him. And that dog beat me every time within the last five or ten minutes of the hunt. He'd be off somewhere and have a coon by himself and beat me. And... And I told Greg then, I said, Greg, I don't know if I can afford him, but if you ever sell that dog, I'd like to have the opportunity to buy him. And uh, he granted him, and about two weeks later, on a Sunday morning, he called me. He said, live up in the mountain, back ahead of nowhere, up Neon, Kentucky. And he said, I can't promote this dog, White, and he needs to be promoted. And uh, and that's how I ended up with Dan. I see. Yeah. Well, are you uh, about promoting a stud dog nowadays? I think things have changed. You know, of course, I was involved in the magazines quite heavily for many years with, uh, uh, you know, at my years at UKC with Coonhound Bloodlines and then uh, with PKC with the ProHound. And then, you know, I've written many articles for American Coon or a few for Full Cry. It used to be that you advertised the dog in a magazine. And, you know, your phone would start ringing off the hook, especially if the dog had a good pedigree or had, uh, um, you know, had won a major hunt like a world hunt or Oaks or whatever. How does a guy go about promoting a stud dog today? It's all changed. It's all went to the computers. Uh, I don't, uh, I run ads, you know, you've probably seen my ads oh, for yeah. years there on, on Rat Tat, and, uh, and then I run them on Dan for a while, and then, it got so that you, your your response on the magazines just wasn't there. Everybody would see you on the on your on the UKC site, and uh, so that's the way I kind of trended to. But uh, it's changed a lot, Steve, in the last few years. Uh, like you say, a lot of people you win the world hunt, whether it's ever if it, any of his litter mates never won a hunt in their life, or if he had won nothing real big, he wins the world hunt. He's the hottest thing out there. Oh yeah, for a while. Mm-hmm. For a while, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but it's just a rat race anymore. 
And there's a lot of good stud dogs out there, and, and just about everybody, a lot of people anymore with the performance and the super stakes, they're uh, they're breeding their own dogs, in which you can't blame them for that. And uh, yeah, so it, you it, know that it's became, changed a lot. Yeah, for sure. And you know that became evident to me, and I may have mentioned it recently. If I look in ProHound magazine and I look at the leaderboards, the the male leaders, female leaders, pup leaders. And you look down through that list, and you don't see the same dog appearing more than maybe once or twice as the sire of those dogs. There are 24 dogs in each list, and, you know, the power pack dog may have two or three. Uh, uh, you know, the cuz, Neosha cuz dog may have two or three, maybe a big money or something like that. But the rest of those dogs are just sired by, you know, all all different studs. All the rest of them, you know, only have the one one dog on the list. So that tells me that I think maybe that occurred for a large part when PKC made it possible for you to superstake just a single litter of dogs where you didn't have to pay up the dog at the first of the year. For the full year, do you you think I had anything to do with it? I do a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I agree with you a hundred percent there. And uh, like I say, you know, if he's got the sire and the dam there, you know, if he owns a female and he breeds his dog to it, and, and happens to win one of those big hunts, you know, he's got he's got all the benefits, and that's where a lot of people's trending. Yeah, I, I see that for sure, for sure. Well, um, what what have uh, some of your dogs, have you you had any pups out of these, uh, either of these females yet, or uh, have you bred them already? Well, I bred, I bred Jesse, and uh, those pups are four months old. I just, uh, I, I've had one here I was going to keep until I decided that was, that Pearl Jam was the last one I was going to campaign, so I sold it to a, to a gentleman in Mississippi this past week. Mm-hmm. And then this litter I've got here out of, and a Layla, she's a, uh, they're just four weeks old. And Pearl Jam, I've got her qualified for the Tournament of the Champions, the World Hunt, uh, mm. Walker Days next year. Go hunt her in Autumn Oaks. I will probably hold off on her, Steve, and, uh, mm-hmm. and hunt her, hunt her before oh, yeah. I, on all those before I do, because I really enjoy hunting her. She gives you 110%, and, uh, and she's just enjoyable for me to hunt. Uh, describe her, what does she look like? She's beautiful. She's a beautiful female. She's blanket back and, and uh, got just a slight blaze in her face, you know, mm-hmm. like a pencil. And uh, oh, yeah. she's got uh, an outstanding mouth. There you go. Just a unique, outstanding mouth, which an old man like me needs that. Yeah, and, that's uh, true. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got it. Well, I don't want to give away all your your uh, trade secrets there. Well, these guys might be drawing you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh sounds like you're proud of her, and I know that's probably all the endorsement she needs because you certainly have the experience, Whitey. And and uh, but uh, well, um, so looking down the road, let's talk about this coon hunting sport, uh, coon hunting sport, just a little bit. You and I have been around it for quite a while now. I, I started, uh, you know, back when I was a teenager. I was born in 1946. And as soon as I was able, I started pestering my dad to take me around to the night hunts over in Virginia and up in eastern Ohio and places. 
because uh, I, I couldn't drive yet. And so I've always had an interest in competition and all that. But I see the sport changing so much, and we talked just a little bit about the fact, the type of dogs that have changed. But I see a lot of change in the attitude of the hunters, too. Um, you know, whether it's from their attitude toward getting a dog ready and hunting a dog and what it takes. It just seems like, and I, I guess maybe this is just an old man being critical, but there's a whole lot more smack talking out there on the Internet and other around the hunts than there is actually dog talk and dog training and, and dog men exchanging ideas. Do you have anything to say about that? Well, I don't want to step on no toes. <laughs> I understand. But, yeah, I, I see. I see a whole lot of it. You know, it's uh, they're just seeming like there's so much jealousy, and and uh, everybody just uh, they've got these money hunts, which is a good thing if that's your if that's your cup of tea. Right. Uh, but they've got these money hunts, so they, and it's they're investing so much in these dogs. And I don't know about you, Steve, but I've even seen a lot of people that's buying these dogs and giving outrageous prices for them. Oh yeah, uh, it's not even coon hunters, and then they'll put a they'll put a big name handler underneath it and pay him big money, and and it's just a gamble. And uh, mm-hmm. I I know I can't afford that myself, but like you say, it seems like more people try to put more people down anymore, and, and that's not yeah. the way to not the way it should be. It really isn't. Now we know back in the day, and of course you mentioned, you know, when we we kind of talk about the big three: uh, Joe House, Jim Merchant, and John Monroe in the Walker breed, and there were a lot of others that were very influential. You mentioned uh, Jim Mathis, and uh, you know the Carolina Casey dog, H. T. Derrickson there in Kentucky, uh, different ones, you know, down through so many of them really. But you kind of think about those guys, Monroe merchant and house uh, back in the day, or at least for me. And, and they were competitive, you know, but they really didn't take ads out slamming the, the other, you know. And I think it's gotten so easy on the Internet, you know, to hide behind a keyboard and say a lot of things that probably a person wouldn't say to someone if they had to, you know, look them in the eye and say that. And I just wish the younger fellows would get past that. I wish they would get to understand the sport for what it is. You know, uh, it's supposed to be enjoyment. It's supposed to be entertainment. And for a lot of us, it becomes a lifestyle and a life's work, you know, that that means an awful lot to us. I don't know what I would have done down through the years without coon hunting. Do you? No. Uh, we were talking about the sportsmanship and stuff and uh, and. Of all the awards that I have got down to the years, uh, to the Walker Association, I sit there after I had uh, left the Walker Association being a, you know, hunt director. Uh, I'd left it two or three years before that. And, and Alan gets up here and, and he gets talking about this guy, you know, I hunted with him. He was always a good sport. He's always uh, carrying on and, and treating everybody fair. And I thought to myself, this is a pretty good fella he's talking about. And when he said my name, I about fell over. And uh, really, that's great. That's that great. Gotcha. That is the greatest. Uh, that is the greatest sport I've ever got. It was a sportsmanship award. Mm. Uh, and maybe that's one I treasure more than any of. Well, you know, Whitey, I know this is not 
like a mutual admiration society here today, <clears throat> but uh, I've done a, another podcast today, and my my, <laughs> my voice is about to go. But, uh, you know, that for me, too, you know, I was in the military going through my training in Texas when plot days rolled around, and the president of the plot association had contacted my uh, parents and told them that they were going to award me a Sportsman of the Year award. And I knew nothing about this at all. And my parents didn't say anything about it to me either. But they went uh, to Plot Days, and I don't remember exactly where that Plot Days was held, but they accepted that award on my behalf. And that was one of my uh, proudest moments in the sport of coon hunting. You know, uh, it's, I guess people don't understand how that can be so rewarding to be recognized by your peers as being a straight-up guy, you know, that that just uh, tried to be be good, be nice to people, be straight, be fair. Uh, a lot of pride in that for me, and I'm, I know it is for you too. Now, was that the Laverne Miller Award? that you received, or was it? Uh, yes, it was. That oh, was that's awesome. Well, you know, I just mentioned on a prior podcast that's going to air um, the week before this one does, uh, Alan Gingrich had contacted me about a comment I'd made about a guy up in uh, Columbia City, uh, Indiana, named Mike Coulter, and I had erroneously, or uh, uh, I mispronounced his name. I called him Mike Copeland. But anyway, uh, Alan uh, was talking about how this Mike was so uh, humbled when he received the Laverne Miller Award. And our listeners out there that may not know who Laverne Miller was, he was a very active member of the uh, Tree and Walker Breeders and Fanciers in the early days. A real competitor with some real good walker dogs. But everybody that ever spoke about that man had nothing but good to say about him. And what a legacy that is to be able to leave for our families, our children, our friends to say, you know, we really miss Whitey or we miss uh, Mike, you know, because he was a good guy. You know, he was a good guy to be around. So I don't know. I I get sentimental about things like that sometimes. Well, Whitey, I want to talk to you about your work that you're doing now with, with the veterans and with the motorcycles and all that. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm a I'm ride captain for Northeastern Kentucky for the with the Patriot Guards and uh, it keeps us uh, it keeps us busy. I've got a mission tomorrow, which uh, I told you when we talked. And uh and we honor any veteran, whether he's a private or he was a, a colonel or whatever. We treat everybody the same, and we're there for the families. Uh, we uh, we gather, and, and when we're invited, we have to be invited. We don't intrude on anybody's funerals or anything. But if we're invited, we'll. it's all voluntary, and uh, we've got uh, several good patriots in this area that uh, comes out. We've usually got at least 10 or 12, or, and sometimes... Uh, a lot more that comes, and uh, we guard the casket if that's what the family wants, and then we do a final salute, and uh, and then we escort them to the cemetery where they'll be buried. And 
Mm-hmm. It's a great honor to for for me to do be recognized as the ride captain in Kentucky for this. And uh, to and me, I'm still serving. I'm still serving my brothers. And uh, absolutely, and, uh, absolutely. And if anybody who's ever viewed uh, those. Uh, caravan or whatever the word is of motorcycles escorting someone to their final resting place. Uh, you know, it, it's very, very moving. I I know when my father died and then my uncle died, I remember the uh, military funeral, you know, and I've been to several over the years uh, and how moving those are. But that's a great thing that you guys do. So you just organize from a group of uh of bikers from your general area, or does someone have to join uh, a club, or how does that work? No, we're not a club. We don't have no clubhouses or nothing. We're not a motorcycle club at all, uh, Steve. Mm-hmm. We are we are just patriots that, uh, and you don't have to be a motorcycle rider. We've got we've got people that's uh, that's with us, men and women that uh, drives vehicles. They'll they'll fly the flags off their vehicles. Mm-hmm. And uh, we fly. We are flyer flags from the motorcycle. The ones that does ride motorcycles. And uh, but we, it's just. Uh, I live in a great area of patriots. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't. I can't say enough. Uh, uh, the the main guy, Vietnam vet, raised up right above the road to hear from me. I lost him about two or three weeks ago. Oh, Probably my. the best friend I've got had in the world. And uh, mm. I lost him, and uh, we had. Uh, we put the word out. He had done so much. He'd done about 3,000 funerals. Wow. And I put the word out. We had him come from Louisville, Charleston, mm-hmm. West Virginia, up in Ohio. But we had 91 bikes. Oh, that's funeral. awesome. And that, uh, the town the town put the uh, fire trucks up and uh, had the big flag hanging for us to go under. And uh, and it's just uh, just no, uh, that's, that's terrific. an honor. Honor. It is an honor when we can pay tribute to to patriots. This country was built on the blood and sacrifice of the patriots. And man, I, I you won't find a guy that uh, you know appreciates that any more than I do. I, I'm just uh, just all about that, and I really congratulate you for the work you're doing that way, and for your service and all that. That goes with that, uh, Whitey. It's a great, great thing. Well, kind of at 70 years old, what what are your plans for the future in this old sport of coon hunting? Well, I hope to keep our breeding program keeping it up. And, and like I said, I want to get the major hunts and uh, and uh, with the dog as I have now and and just try to, to keep the, keep the uh, thing going here that we've – you know, strive to do and try to treat everybody fair. And and uh, I've had several people buy as many as five or six pups off me over the years, and to me, that's an honor. So it seems like I'm trying to do something right. So uh, oh, absolutely, that repeats. Mm-hmm. I just, no, go just ahead. strive to keep that one. Yeah, well, I certainly wish you the best in that regard for sure. And uh, 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 I would say if a person wanted to get a nice walker pup that's got uh, some planning behind it and 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 uh, the bloodline, the experience, and I'm sure the temperament on these hounds, we didn't talk about that too much. But uh, are, are they fairly easy trained? I mean, are they are they uh, intelligent? 
Yeah, they're, uh, you know, you're, this, my kennel is just right down from me now, and you don't hear a dog barking or nothing. I mean, they're level-headed, and, uh, yeah. you know, that's something I look at, too. If, you know, a dog wild and crazy, you know, I can't train them. And, uh, right. And my dogs are level-headed, and that's what I strive for, and that's what I try to do in my breeding program. I watch for the what they got between the ears. Well, let's talk about a little bit about what you like, and then we're going to. We've been at this for an hour and five minutes already. Why it's hard to believe that we've talked that long. But what kind of feed do you use? I'm, I'm feeding Farina, and okay. uh, I'm having good luck with it, and don't see no reason to change. Uh, I've I've ventured away from it at times, like everybody else, and uh, and I come back to it, and uh, and seem like <laughs> I have. Uh, good results with it i don't uh, seem like they've been at you know they've been in business longer enough they know what they're doing well that's it and i've said that on this <clears throat> podcast and i do too that's what i feed and i have fed for many years ever since i went to that first purina award banquet out in st louis and went to the farm and saw how much research and development and money that they put into it i thought well, if they're not building the best, they sure are spending a lot of money for nothing. But, uh, yeah. Well, what kind of lights you like to wear? I still got an old, uh, I hunted with crystal lights for forever. And, yeah, uh, Kenny St. John. Yeah, yeah, we lost Kenny back in the in the winter. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I've been going up, I've been going up since 1986. And hunting the first week of season with Kenny. Oh, wow. But the last couple of years, I know he was failing. And then mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Walker called me back and uh, yeah. he told me the day that he was over there and he told me we lost Kenny. And, uh, yeah, but, uh, the man in the fedora hat. Uh, I, I met Kenny years and years ago, you know, when he was selling a dog feed. What was that brand of feed he Crystal. Sold? Crystal, Crystal yeah, dog yeah, feed. Yeah, I fed right. it. Mm-hmm. Always, Kenny made it. Yeah, yeah, and then he got into the lights and all that, and I always had a good visit everywhere with Kenny. If it was Automotive, or it was at Grand American or wherever. And uh, man, it's tough, Whitey, when you go to the hunts and you don't see these people anymore. You know, it's well, there's. Kind of, I know you've seen a lot of, and I've seen more than my share that's gone that I hunted with over the years. That are they're just not here no more. They're gone. Right. Right. I guess we're blessed, Steve, to to still be on Earth and and still enjoy doing what we're doing. Well, we certainly are, Whitey, and that's uh, they say birds of a feather flock together. I I wanted to talk to you for a long time, and I'm sure glad that we took this opportunity today mm-hmm. to to visit for a while. And I want to keep that up. Uh, your friend Mark Miller, there, he and I talk just about every day. <laughs> I asked him, I don't know if you heard me on the podcast, ask him what you said when you found out he was fooling with the plot. <laughs> but uh, uh, I uh, uh, hope that we'll be able to stay in touch, and I'll look you up at Autumn Oaks, and hopefully you'll be in that top 16 by the time I get there. And uh, I hope I am too, brother. Yeah. Well, Whitey, is there anything that we should have talked about that we didn't or you thought maybe I'd cover and I didn't ask you? No, I think you've done a great job, Steve. Great job. Well, Whitey, thank you so much for coming on with me today, and I certainly wish you the very best and be praying for you as you continue your work with the veterans. I know that's so appreciated by the families uh, of these uh, patriots, and uh, 
God, Godspeed in that direction, fella. And good luck with your Walker dogs. And uh, we'll be looking for you um, in, on the internet and in the magazines. And you, you just have have a great year. And uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Yeah, it's call any time, brother. Enjoy talking to you. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap on our Gone to the Dogs podcast for today. Uh, really great uh, visit with Whitey Marshall and uh, just an example of the kind of quality individuals we try to bring on this podcast on a regular basis. If anybody asks you where's Steve Fielder, tell them he's gone to the dogs. <laughs> <laughs>